Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Game Changers, brought to you by Watch Your Game. In this series, I aim to explore the minds of people working in the Web3 gaming industry. For more Web3 gaming, live play, interviews, and reviews, check out watchyourgame.com. Game with a three. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Game Changers, brought to you by Watch Your Game. Today, we're speaking with Maria, Product Director at Pixion. So Maria, what's your backstory? My backstory? I love this. It sounds like a D&D session. My backstory is confusing and complicated. Um, how long do we have? Plenty of time. Uh, confusing and complicated gives us lots to go into after. Let's see, so I grew up in Portugal. I have a Canadian accent because my mom is Canadian. So this is why I learned at home. And yeah, I growing growing up in Portugal, like making games wasn't really a thing. And so I went into more traditional industries. I was in business and sales. And then I decided I wanted I was in fisheries basically. And I decided I wanted to actually try to get into games. I immigrated to England and got into tech and then eventually got into games uh, by a lucky shot because I tried for many years and no one accepted my CV because I hadn't come from like a traditional game path. And then, yeah, I crossed paths with someone who worked at Jagex, Jagex previously and he referred me and that's how I got into games. That's a very exciting journey. Uh, fisheries is in looking after fish. Is that what fisheries is? Oh, <laughs> like long distance fisheries. So like the large trawlers fishing in the North Atlantic, doing like long campaigns. Um, so dealing with import export of frozen fish and maintenance of the vessels. Does that come up a lot now in Web3 at all? <laughs> it's always a good icebreaker. But <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I always really appreciate meeting people in the gaming industry that come from non-gaming backgrounds. Because even today, I use things I learned in managing processes at a factory to increase uh, produ productivity, um, the sales of import-export and having to negotiate and communicate with different cultures, understanding what your customers want. So I'm a strong believer that, you know, people that don't come from gaming backgrounds entering gaming, they actually bring like more perspectives, like new, new perspectives that weren't considered before. And I'm going to throw a lot of shade across the whole space now. But we, uh, me and a couple of others, talk about that quite often, actually, because I did engineering and now I'm in tax management. So very, I don't know, corporate. And but like you say, very processy, very much knowing, I don't know, how to make things more efficient. And then you talk to people in space and it's wild. It's just wild how... I don't how that isn't just common knowledge, but I think it is just like you say, doing more industry work, kind of outside gaming before you come in where it's it's vibes a little bit. <laughs> but that's shade on everyone, so hopefully no one feels particularly targeted. <laughs> and then now that you've come over your games, what is it that you're working on right now? I'm working at Pixion Games. We're developing Fableborn which is a mobile free-to-play hybrid genre of action RPG and base builder. Uh, and we're 
exploring the design space of blockchain, designing a great mobile game, but with a twist where we see new design spaces that we believe we can deliver to, to players. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm very excited. It's all very creative. I'm very happy to have joined the blockchain space because I used to network before, but it's just like you're part of this really large community that's in a way building together. It feels there's a lot of kinship between people who work like in, with, between the different studios and, and, con and content creators and third parties. It almost feels like just this one big family that's working together to like make it work and succeed. And I love that. And then also the creativity of being able to break out into just those new design spaces where you can deliver experiences you couldn't before. I definitely agree. I think that when people ask why kind of I'm in Web3 gaming, I haven't got a great answer. But one of the things is that just the size of it, that I can talk to anyone, like talking to founders of huge studios that maybe that would never have happened. And I'll just get to have a chat with them or get to just meet other people who are doing the same thing. I talk to people from different countries all the time at this point, which I did slightly with gaming because, you know, you'd, you'd come across people in games lobbies, but not to the kind of extent now. Mm. And now obviously we battle time zones, which is the worst. I definitely wish the world was flat. <laughs> but kind of with the desire to get into gaming and move into it, I'm assuming that you would call yourself a gamer, even though I don't really like using that as a term because most people are gamers at this point, whether they whether they know it or not. But what game have you played most in your life? Ooh, good question. I'd say Destiny 2, solely due to the pandemic. I always loved Destiny. But then the pandemic hit and it went from I love Destiny to Destiny is my life. I think I registered around 600 hours. I became a clan leader, was dealing with like clan politics. My weekends and nights were spent raiding. Um, and it was honestly, I think it just kept me sane because I just go into this world, grind, speak with people, like be with different people on my headset all day long. So. Yeah, major shout out to Destiny, and I still I still love it. And the other game I played a lot was, it doesn't count as a game anymore, as a franchise. I've grown up with Final Fantasy. So Final Fantasy VII was the first game, no, sorry, it was the second game I ever saw. Before that, it was Tomb Raider. And I was just like, what is this? <laughs> what? How, how is this a thing? I'm just used to, you know, watching cartoons on the TV or um, do drawings. Um, so I was really mesmerized by it. And it was the dad of a friend of mine. He was playing it. And so we'd go to his to, his, to her house and then we'd sit there watching him play. Um, yeah, super fascinating. And anyway, he ended up giving me his copy of Final Fantasy VII. And then yeah, I've played all the Final Fantasy since then. And even though I think I'm not as much as a fan as I used to be before the franchise. It always has that nostalgia memory for me. I think that nostalgia is a massive part that we see a lot in the space right now that I was always expecting people to be younger, maybe. And now the majority of the people I talk to, it's like, oh, I want to go back to those kind of games or they're starting to build games that feel newer now but they're kind of tapping into a bit more of that nostalgia a bit more reminiscing about 
making games that they want rather than particularly making it for a specific audience? Is that something you're seeing across the board or how do you find the space with that? Yeah, I think definitely. Hopefully you reach a point in your career where that's what you're doing. You're building games that you love. Um, and, you know, they will have most likely an audience or maybe, you know, you're a millionaire and you can just make a game that you love without having to think about the market. But at least for myself, I I like to build a game that will be successful and success means people will have fun, they will enjoy it and there's a market. I am I'm happy to build a game that is not a passion project because it stimulates my creativity. Like it's still stimulating and creating a narrative, a story, even if there's no actual lore, you're creating an experience. And I'm happy, I'm happy with that. Like seeing people be happy and enjoy it and the game's performing well, it doesn't matter to me personally, if it's a passion project, um, but I hope maybe one day I will be that, <laughs> that person where I have this treasure chest and I can build a game, my dream game, and hopefully we'll have a market. There's definitely a few people I can think of who are kind of crucifying themselves to a passion project with no idea about if it will ever be a business. Uh, and I love seeing it. Obviously, probably a little bit worried for them eventually, but if they've got the, the funds to keep going, I, mm. I kind of love those kind of ones. I, I keep saying there's a lot of um, a lot of dad gamers building, like just dad games which is very much my speed at this point i'm not fast twitch fps's at this point i just get slaughtered by small children <laughs> well i'm actually hoping with the advent of ai i do have a dream game and i think my dream game is niche enough that no one will do it in the meantime <laughs> and so i'm hoping with that yeah the advent of ai maybe in 10 years time it'll actually be feasible for me to execute what i'd like to do we'll see during the uh, wildness of the the bull and money being everywhere and i was talking to someone who wanted to try and get more clicks onto their website and use web3 as part of it and i spent a little bit of time trying to design essentially a board game but then you would make it that every turn happened once every six hours and everyone took a turn in that six hours and then you end up with kind of some of the browser games that you've seen previously. Because I spent a lot of time playing games like um, Travian and Tribal Wars, which are just clickers on browser. Mm. And it was really enjoyable. Um, I don't think it would ever be enjoyable to anyone else. But I just, I don't know, I really liked, it was kind of a mashup of different board games that I enjoyed at the time. So yeah. I can see that. Well, hopefully you strike it rich and it's sooner than 10 years. And AI, everything's going to be free by the time AI's doing it. So. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be able to do it in no time. You'll have a little assistant AI and it'll be fine. Oh, because I'll be, you know, replaced by a machine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But apparently, every time there's a technological advance, we just get to have more time to do the stuff we enjoy. Uh History has shown that that never happens, but this might be the time. I mean, there was a renaissance and the advent of philosophy, so... This could be it. This could, this be, could it. be it. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned that your start was kind of more 
traditional gaming and you've come into the, the Web3 space. How long were you kind of working outside of Web3 and games to start with? And how have you found that kind of transition from traditional gaming into kind of Web3 gaming? Oh, gosh, I've never counted the years. Uh, I think around three and a half years or three years, something around that <laughs> before joining <laughs> blockchain gaming. That would be about 21 years in crypto years. So that's quite a long time. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but I, as soon as, soon as there was, because um, I used to work in fintech. So actually, I started to understand blockchain and Explorer when I was in fintech. And then I moved into games and I stopped pursuing, you know, projects that were related to it. And then when blockchain came around again, I just thought, wait, what? Okay, so it was in fintech. Now it's in games. I'm I'm interested because I already was interested in the technology and I understood the core principles of it. Um, so even when I was not working in blockchain gaming, I was consuming a lot of content and listening to everything, just trying to keep up to date with, you know, the market. There was there was Bitcoin, Ethereum, and there was Polygon and Immutable. So I, I was following it pretty closely, even though I wasn't working um, in the area. And then also I was spending time just creatively exploring what kind of games um, I could make. I was working at Hutch at the time with racing games. And so just thinking about what what kind of new games we could make that would would not be possible without the usage of blockchain. Um, And then I got too excited and I had to join the space. Uh, (laughs) And now I'm at Fixion. (laughs) And kind of looking back across it from when you started thinking about kind of what games could work and seeing what was already out there, what people were trying, what do you think has been the the biggest change that you've seen across the last kind of like year, year and a half in Web3 Gaming? I personally never really bought into the keywords that were being used. I felt that at the time there was no clear new design space that games could explore and yet like these big words of interoperability player ownership like a lot of these concepts were being thrown around and i never really saw support of whether there was an actual market of it i didn't see consumers asking for it and if we look at gaming like gaming is generally where you go to be to to relax to be you pay to be entertained you know, you pay to go get a massage, go to the sauna to relax. And so I didn't, it didn't really click with me of, oh, you know, players really want ownership. I was like, do they? Are you sure? Um, and so one thing I'm really happy is that there's more of a mature sense of the value of blockchain. And I, I'm really happy we got to the point where uh, you know, I, there was a tweet that Spark posted that making a good game doesn't mean that the game is a wise investment decision because it needs to have like value accrual, it needs to have speculation. And just making a good game doesn't mean that you're going to attract the investor persona as a blockchain player. And now, like, we talk about that more openly, like, maybe. Some player personas don't care about ownership, but you can attract a new type of gamer and a new type of monetization by generating, like creating a game where you generate that 
investment interest. I think that's a key point, and I blame Twitter. I blame Twitter for or, or X. You know, I blame X for a lot of it. That, like you say, ownership, interoperability. They're nice short words. They don't use too many of your characters, but no one agreed particularly in what they meant. So I, for the first part of my content creation, I would often get up on my soapbox about ownership because the dream that a lot of people were describing just frankly wasn't true and wasn't what people wanted. So they were like, oh, but you you own the NFT, you own the game asset. I was like, well, you don't really own the game asset. You own an NFT that points to a game asset. We've seen NFTs be changed, like people have moved your NFT to another contract without you agreeing to it. That That's not the thing. The interest, and this is where people, what people normally end up meaning by ownership for me, was people like the idea of trading. That's that's the kind of ownership they're interested in. Anything beyond that, um, the idea of achievements on chain or memorabilia is a little bit more niche again. But trading's kind of one of the the bigger ones. And I think what was missing is that people were just promising a little too much. I think I think that idea of the player um, personas of who's going to spend what makes sense as well because. We're not all going to make it. We're not all going to make a profit because if everyone's making a profit, it's a Ponzi scheme. There's no, there's no way that everyone makes a profit. That's just not how money works. Um, and I think that is something that's definitely changing now. There's a lot more games that are like, actually, we need to bring money in to be a project that survives. We need people to be happy enough to spend. Some people might sell something really rare that they pick up, but ideally, and a lot of them are starting to add more mechanics in, they prefer to keep it in game than actually trade it out. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that has been nice to see. I still think we see a lot of buzzwords flying around, but I think your point about the maturity and being a bit more nuanced about it, like interoperability, I hate that word still. I, I, I've tried to say a realistic interoperability, um, but even then I still hate it because some of some of the stuff people say is just ridiculous. You're not going to have your sports car in someone's dinosaur game. That's not, that's, if, if you could get that to work, you're an idiot because it doesn't, there's no one, no one wants, if, if it's a dinosaur game and you're driving around as a car, it doesn't make sense. Just don't do it. But I, yeah. I do like that kind of transition that's, that's kind of come through. Um, do you think that, well, I've just gone on a rant about it, so we'll see if you agree. Do you think that Web3 is an echo chamber that keeps throwing bad ideas back in on itself? And because everyone's already here, there's a bit more agreement, whereas other people just shoot down some of the ideas straight away. I think most things are an echo chamber, and Web3 is no different. Social media is an echo chamber. And I, for me, it's natural that, that this happens. And this is... This is why I'm loving working in blockchain gaming, because I really don't think anyone has found that new, like great solutions, great new designs that you couldn't do without blockchain. And that that makes me like excited because I want to be part of leading that. I want Pixion to be part of leading that. That's what motivates, motivates us a lot at the studio. And so for me to protect my creativity, I'm actually not super active on X slash Twitter slash 
LinkedIn. <laughs> um, I'm more active now in the in the Wolf DAO. I purposefully close my ears, close my eyes. I filter through the information that I'm receiving. But I, yeah, I, I can't listen to it all the time because I don't believe the solutions and what's being done right now is the best of the best that we can do in this space. And so, yeah, to protect our creativity, we have to protect ourselves from the echo chamber. Be like without you noticing, if you're hearing all day, every day, these like snippets of, you know, blockchain is good for this or that or whatever, it will start to subconsciously influence your thought process. And so I think it's extremely important to like people who are making design decisions and creating these experiences, like make sure you're protecting your own thoughts and you're giving yourself the time to just go think on your own without any kind of input or direction from anyone, just like spend time thinking. I definitely think that's true. And as you were speaking, it was remind me of the fact that a, a lot of people can get hug, hung up on what Twitter is saying. And I think if a studio tries to react to it in real time, they'll just crucify themselves because Twitter changes so much. And the majority of the people, and I'm going to include myself in this one, who are tweeting often about Web3 games, throw a grenade out, don't have to do anything to deal with it about creating a game or anything in the back end and then just walk away. And if if studios and people who are kind of trying to make those decisions pay too much attention to it, I just ter I think it's a terrible idea. Even though I like being on Twitter, make sure you follow me everyone, you know, all that sort of stuff. I definitely think that it's not a, not a healthy place. I think you, you do right kind of trying to protect yourself from that to keep your thoughts coming through. And I, I think the way you guys do it in terms of getting the feedback around the game is really good, that it's a lot more specific data focus. Every test kind of play, you've got specific goals and you've changed very purposeful pieces rather than having the more more open testing I've done for some other games where it's more generic feedback and it's a lot more, I don't know, wide. And I think that is probably not great. How, do, how are you finding kind of the working with the community in those stages and kind of iterating on the, the points as it goes through? I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> and that's why I want to stay in blockchain gaming forever. And I just love sharing the creativity and building with people. I just like like building with people, basically. And with working in blockchain gaming, you get to do that even before your game is released. Like that is so special. And like when I hear on Twitter, you know, people calling the other players normies or traditional gaming, I'm like, no, don't, don't talk about like what's bad about the other people or calling them normies or anything. Just like appreciate this preciousness that in blockchain gaming, you can build with a community and create like those deep connections with players so early on in the journey of the game. I just think that deserves so much love. And it's what I, like, it makes me so happy to go on Discord. Like, I, I shouldn't be on Discord most days, <laughs> but <laughs> I just like, you know, I'm drinking my tea and I go in there for five minutes just because it brings me so much joy to to talk with people. And anyway, I'm ranting now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I, it's, 
I love it. I think it's true. And I, I think there is a need to, like you were mentioning before, kind of curate that experience a little bit because you could just end up... Um, I don't know if I kept the question or not. I, ha- I had a question along the lines of, you're a real person and I see a lot of LARPing going on that people get caught too much in just talking in the in the Discord and the fact that you could get lost in it without actually ever implementing anything. So... I think curation's a little bit in that. I do think maybe I'm not as positive about all the community because I do think that there's a little bit too much optimism and positivity. I think a little bit of realism would uh, would help some people. Uh, but I definitely agree that it is special. And the idea of, like you say, calling people normies or looking back at what's bad about traditional gaming just makes it seem a bit arrogant in the space and isn't really the welcoming it doesn't fit with the let's onboard everyone message which everyone goes for yeah it's just it's um i don't think the language is used in any kind of derogatory or negative way i think we needed to put a name to try to describe something and that's just the name those terms that became popular and coming from building non-blockchain games coming from being a gamer myself when and i'm not like massively into crypto I learned about crypto after that initial wave happened. I was like, ooh, (laughs) too late for me to join this party. (laughs) And when, you know, when I see people calling um, non-crypto people normies, I see myself reflected in the normie, because I'm a normie. (laughs) But I don't like being called a normie, because I'm not. I'm a special person in my own way. (laughs) And so if we want if we want this kind of gaming to be welcome to people, then we have to make it, you know, sound positive. And even without that bad intention, it, it kind of sounds bad when you call other people normies because <laughs> it makes you sound like you're ultra special. So I think that would, for me, that would be one change. If I could see one change in the gaming industry, it would be to use language that is more kind to people who are not currently in the space. Because like maybe someone will love getting bags and pumping their bags and all of these things, but it can yeah it can be a little bit scary to come into, um, yeah. I, and be, I, definitely, yeah. I definitely think there's a bit on that. And what what do you think will? There's a couple of theories going around of what we'll see, whether we'll see a kind of a spear tip that one game will kind of break through and that'll bring everyone or whether there'll just be a few games kind of trickling around, pulling in a little bit of each as they come through and a bit more of a waterfall effect. How how do you think Web3 will become kind of more mainstream? What would be your prediction? My prediction is the, the market of blockchain gaming will require studios that know who's my audience, how am I going to design a game and market my game to that audience. I believe that this this has been discussed significantly on many spaces and, and other content that, for example, Southeast Asia is much more open and accepting of crypto. And so you can design and market a game in a completely different way to attract that audience in, in those in the region compared to, for example, the United States. And will there be like this one game that will change everything for the market. I personally don't think so because the market perception is so splintered. 
I, you know, I, this is just me hypothesizing, <laughs> but I, I believe that once there's a game that does introduce a completely new way of playing, regardless of that, what that is, like it's going to be more than trading for sure. It's going to be more than having NFTs or a token and then people are making money off of that because it accrues value. Like put that aside. I think that there's this undiscovered space that once discovered players will fall in love with it and enjoy it. And blockchain gaming will go beyond speculation, if that makes sense. I think so. I think I think it's hard to predict because right now that that thing you say mentioning is undiscovered. I've not seen anything that changes the general idea that blockchain is kind of working as eBay and PayPal for games. It's not really changing the game itself. It's kind of more auxiliary functions. But I think there will be that that game that that finds me new. Um, we can't predict it because. If I could predict it, maybe I'd make that game and become rich. Um, <laughs> but now I think that's a, a good point. And do you, in terms of the kind of looking a bit shorter term, what what do you think is the the biggest challenge right now in terms of what Web three is trying to do? Do you think it is getting mainstream, or do you think that's still quite a way down the line, and that there's a few challenges we need to cross before we get to that? I actually have a pretty strong opinion on this. And ooh, and it's not an opinion I see talked about a lot. <laughs> and in my opinion, uh, the biggest challenge of blockchain gaming is that utilizing blockchain and creating the kind of experiences players expect in games nowadays, it makes developing a game so much harder because like, there's this new technical complexity and how do you have on-chain things, off-chain things, the transactions, pay gas fee, don't pay gas fee, optimize all of that. If you were to build it without blockchain, it would have been faster and you're building it with blockchain because you want to explore that space. Like it just adds this whole new complexity to game making. And so, and then it's also new from a marketing perspective. And so if you were if you weren't developing a game for blockchain gaming, there's a better understanding of like what kind of language to use, what channels to use, how to pitch your game. But now, so you have these additional challenges with marketing and making the game. Making the game takes longer because you're using this new technology. There's not as many like third, mature third parties that solve your problems. And so you have to solve more problems in-house um, and then there's this expectation that before the game's released, you know, maybe you'll have a token and now you need to also do live ops for your token. So imagine you're a small studio trying to make a game, but now imagine you now have your focus split three, four times, trying to manage all these unknown unknowns and discovering challenges along the way that you have to like upskill yourself to learn how to solve. That's why I think we haven't seen games that create this new design space because it, it takes really a long time, not only to like design, but to implement. And if studios are really focused, even before having a game, they're really focused on doing a mint, on releasing a token, uh, increasing its value, like for many viable reasons, not, not judging here. Now you have like part of your studio doing live ops 
whilst you're still building the game. And so the focus split is a major challenge. I think that's a huge one, especially considering some of the teams, it's generous to even say teams because it's one person kind of thing that's mm. trying to tackle that. And they're having to wear so many hats and keep so many plates spinning. And it, and some of the market and audience can be very fickle when if things change kind of, or you, you have to do something slightly different because expectations in crypto are so fast because of what people saw in the, the PFP space that I've seen people expect a game in a week kind of thing. Their, their, their expectations aren't, aren't managed appropriately because of the, the speed yeah. of how much everything else in crypto kind of moves. I'd say, you know, I, I, my, it, I, for me, it's not only that. It's someone bought something and they bought something with the expectation that it's going to grow in value. And so if we look at non-blockchain games and let's say you release this content update, people are upset but they haven't really lost financial value in their lives. Now imagine doing that, but what the person holds has that financial value. Like you better be focused trying to maintain this floor price and grow it or else of course people are gonna get upset. And so you can't just ignore it and abandon it so that you can go and focus on your game. Like <laughs> of course people are gonna care. Yeah, I think we've seen that a couple of times where initial design has not been quite right there's been a slight misstep they've tried to rectify it and it can quickly turn people's opinion if like you say they've already spent that money they've already had that expectation and to meet the game requirements that expectations had to change and i think handling the community and working kind of in real time with the community is a really difficult challenge for everyone kind of in the space that's doing that but to be more positive be more positive. What are you excited for in the next three to six months? Uh, in the next three to six months? Mm -hmm. Well, first presenting what we've been building in Fableborn, because <laughs> it's been a while since our last playtest and many things have changed. And we think they have changed for the better. And I'm really excited to put it out in the wild. So that's something I'm looking forward to. And something else I'm looking forward to, just get the game ready for soft launch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am, I'm excited, excited to see what's happened. I think I've played in nearly every playtest. Maybe I have done every playtest. So I'm excited to see kind of what changes have, have definitely come through and then see what it's like when it's fully released into the wild. Because a lot of your playtesters are very good um, and I would like some people who aren't as good for me to beat. That would be, be, be nice. Totally selfish. Totally selfish on that front. Though. Yeah, because we have some ideas. What I was talking about, these new design spaces. We have some ideas I'm really excited for. Like, you have to have a game so that you can then implement them and fully be focused. You have the focus and the time to make this new space something excellent. And not just, like, do it quickly and rush it. Um, and so that's why I'm I, I'm already excited, you know, it's a soft launch again and it and it's successful. But from a creative perspective, I'm excited to get that milestone so that we can start building just yeah, this these new ideas that we've been brainstorming. Um it's like, okay, we have to build the actual, you know, core <laughs> of the game and then we can do the really, really, really exciting things. 
I look forward to seeing it. I'm definitely keen to see what all this new exciting stuff is once the core's kind of solidified. And you've already said you're trying to avoid socials, but just in case you're not avoiding them, where is the best place for anyone to follow you? I actually, actually, that um, question makes me a bit uncomfortable because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not a social media person. I don't know, like, don't maybe don't follow me because I just say stuff on on Twitter in comments or replies. I don't really tweet intelligent things. Um, I actually get more pleasure sharing, like, creating um, analysis and sharing it in the wolf's style. We're in a private space i suppose but like people people i know i'm a social media awkward person like some people are awkward in physical social interactions and i'm awkward with digital um, social <laughs> interactions but uh, yeah my eye is uh, maria fuzzyland um but if you follow me don't expect amazing content there are much better people out there like you guys vote that they should follow so the answer is become a wolf there we go Basically, yeah. <laughs> well, it's been great talking and I'm sure I'll catch you around in the Wolfsdale and across the rest of the space. Yeah, thank you so much for the invite. It was really lovely. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for more insights into the world of Web3 Gaming. And if you need to experience more Web3 Gaming content, check out whatsyourgame.com. Game with a three. And remember to look for games that you enjoy. And I'll see you next time.